You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health Podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Hello, I'm Teresa McKee, your host for A Mindful Moment. Thank you for joining me as we explore ways to increase mindfulness in our day-to-day experiences. In addition to our regular weekly podcast, we also have the privilege of interviewing experts from around the world to further our understanding of how to live mindfully. Christine Comerford is a human behavior expert, a leadership columnist for Forbes.com, and the New York Times best-selling author of Smart Tribes, Rules for Renegades, and Wall Street Journal bestseller of Power Your Tribe. Christine specializes in applied neuroscience with a unique perspective on adapting behavioral shifts that instill self-understanding and awareness to create a deeply purposeful and joy-filled life. Bill Gates calls her super high bandwidth. Bill Clinton has thanked her for fostering American entrepreneurship. Hi, Christine. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here, Teresa. I know that you do a lot of work with neuroscience and leadership and a wide variety of topics, actually. And so I enjoyed kind of perusing your YouTube videos and your uh, (laughs) website and the the upcoming retreat and all kinds of things. So I've got a few questions, but the big one that I'd like to talk about today, or the main one, is why mindfulness and meditation matter in leadership. Huge. Great question. Here's the thing. Leaders set the tone. And what's really cool is if you look at Lionel Tiger's research from Rutgers, What he learned was that, first of all, we know that human beings have only 4% difference in DNA than primates. So we're really close to monkeys. (laughs) And what he found was that primates look to their leader every 20 to 30 seconds, and they decide how they should feel and behave based on their leader. So we look at the emotional tone. So if our leader is really irritated, if our leader seems kind of scared, if our leader feels like they don't maybe have it all together, we then feel that way as well. So it's so key for leaders to manage their emotional state. And in our executive coaching, we use a bunch of different tools to do this. But what I'm finding is really helpful right now is for people to help their team focus on outcomes that they want instead of the problems that keep cropping up. And um, one of the tools that we use for that is called the outcome frame. So whenever people are spinning about like all the stuff that's not working, oh my gosh, there's all these problems. It's just a series of questions. And here they are. What would we like? Or if it's for an individual, hey, what would you like? And it's something you can create and maintain. Not to win the lottery, for George to not be so hard to work with. No, it's something you can create and maintain. So, So what would you like? Or what would we like if we're doing it in a group? What will having that do for us? Or what will have that do for me? What will the benefits be? How will I feel? Benefits and how you will feel. Because you know what? We don't usually want outcomes. We want to feel differently. So once we get present to how we want to feel, that's usually what the outcome is. 
Um, how will we know when we have it is the third question. How will we know when we have this outcome that we want so badly? What proof, tangible proof will show up? And then uh, my favorite one, the ego question, what that we value might we risk or lose? What are you going to have to let go of? What's the cost? And then what are your next steps? So for instance, what would you like to be peaceful inside regardless of what's happening outside? What will happen that do for you? Well, I'll feel empowered. I'll be a better leader. I'll be able to manage my emotional state. I'll be able to help my team navigate hurdles. I'll feel peaceful, powerful, joyful. How will you know when you have it? When I get uh, two hours of quiet time every Friday to plan out the week, when I stop and catch myself and call out the emotion that I'm experiencing instead of taking out on others, when my team is meeting their deadlines and the stress level in the office is palpably lower. Okay, uh, what a value might I risk or lose? Well, when I start to get really irritated, I'm going to have to pause. So I'm going to let go of irritation. I'm going to let go of victim mentality. I'm going to have to let go of wanting people to be other than they are. Okay, what are your next steps? Meet with the team. Talk about this new version of me that I want. Lay out how we're going to navigate hurdles. I think right now, especially, leaders are under so much pressure. And the challenges right now are, this is the first time in my lifetime I've seen where it's really hard to predict what's coming. You know what I mean? Because, (laughs) which is sort of important in leadership. So I really think too, or I don't know if you agree with this, but by practicing mindfulness from the sheer perspective of being able to focus and not get the angst and the panic, because between inflation and the political stuff and the pandemic and the monkeypox and the great resignation, and you know, there's so much going on. So I do see that benefit for me with practicing mindfulness is I can feel it starting to spiral like it's too much. And then I can bring myself back in. Yeah, I think that witness, right? The witness. Yes. And, you know, we know the Harvard research, right? When we, when we practice mindfulness for just 20 minutes a day, and it can be four or five minute chunks to 10 minute chunks. What happens is the cell density in our prefrontal cortex increases, but our problem solving, better clarity, better. I'm here, but I want to be there. The cell density in our amygdala decreases less irritation, frustration, fight, flight, freeze. The cell density in our hippocampus increases learning, memory. And when we start to notice the physiological benefits of mindfulness meditation, it's, it's huge. And it's a privilege to be a leader. You know, it's really a privilege. And it's like being a professional athlete of sorts, right? You have to do the work to stay at the top of your game. And with leadership, a lot of it is the inner work. Definitely. I always refer to it as it is an exercise for your brain. Every day that you meditate is exercise. <laughs> So we're talking about leaders, leadership, but what is your definition of leadership? Yeah, my definition of leadership is a person who cultivates and elevates others intentionally, cultivates and elevates others, and is continuously looking, kind of gauging the tribe, if you will, and figuring out what we need to do to enroll, align, engage, because we're only as good as our team is. I always think it's important to point out because a lot of people think leadership is a role, a title. You have to be a manager or a director or a president to be the leader. And there's so much power in leadership in parents and teachers in the janitor can be a leader, right? It's not about your job title. It's about what you just said. I love that definition. Yeah. You know, I think everyone is a leader, 
Because when you look at, sure, you know, the janitor, the gardener, whatever, it's how we show up for others. Because we're leading our families, we're leading our friends, we're leading in our nonprofit endeavors. And most importantly, as you and I both know, we're leading ourselves. You know, we're making those tough choices when our ego wants to, you know, we're making those choices to say no. I frequently teach that the first step to successful leadership is self-leadership, because if we don't start with ourselves, how are we setting the example or motivating others or inspiring others, right? We, we have to be the models, regardless, again, of your job title. So I thank you for going into that a little bit, because I do think some people get confused and think, oh, I'm not a CEO, so it doesn't apply to me. <laughs> it applies to all of us, right? And I think there's three parts of it, right? It's lead self, lead others, lead the business. Yeah. But we're all leading self. Another thing that is rampant these days is distractions. So with everything going on, that in itself is a distraction. And then in organizations, so many individuals are having different challenges, personal and professional. And then you've just got the 24-7 sort of cycle, right? And so with all of those distractions, I was wondering if you can talk a little bit about what you call quieting external noise to step into self-power. So a friend of mine was just saying this to me on a hike. Yesterday, he was saying, have you noticed that in the beginning of COVID, everyone was like, hey, we're in this together. There was all this love and shared experience. And now a lot of people are like, hey, I'm freaking over it. Yeah, I don't want to do this. I don't want I'm over it. It's like, yeah, and you're part of a collective. So one tool that is really helpful because we have to clear the decks, if you will, before we can actually let ourselves get still. So let's look at two tools. The first one, um, maneuvers of consciousness. This takes a whopping 12 minutes (laughs) and it changes your state entirely. So you grab your phone, you set the timer for three minutes. The first phase is negative evaluation. It's best if you can have a buddy just witnessing, but you're just going to say all the stuff that you're irritated with, everything that you're resisting, this isn't fair, this is... You do it for three minutes. Then you look at the emotion wheel and you look how you're feeling. I'm feeling victimized. I'm feeling angry, resentful. Then you shake your body out. Okay, you're done. You you let it all out. Now, three minutes on curiosity. Here comes the mindfulness. Huh, I wonder if this would be so irritating for me three years from now. I wonder if this would be so irritating if I looked at it in a different way. I wonder if this would be so irritating if I thought of how my mom might look at it. You know, and you start to get really curious about this thing that's got you tied up in knots. Three minutes, look at the emotional wheel. Wow. Now I'm feeling sort of pensive and feeling sort of thoughtful, might still be feeling a little angry and frustrated, but still there's a shift. Shake your body out three more minutes. Now, amazement. Wow, it's amazing that with all this awareness, I got so irritated about this. It's amazing that this problem even occurred with such smart people that we are. It's, you know, so you're amazed. Then you look at the emotional meal. Now you're moving more towards peaceful, powerful, joyful. Shake your body out three more minutes full appreciation. Wow. How great that this situation is occurring because it's really helping me step into a bigger version of myself. It's really helping me see how great my life actually really is. It's really helping me see how beautiful humanity is, whatever. It took you 12 minutes, you know? That's excellent. And and we call it maneuvers of consciousness because I want us all to remember, you can maneuver your consciousness. You're not like a victim of it. Then after we do that, so we've cleared the deck, then we can do an outcome frame if we want. Okay, so now what would I like? What will have that do for me, et cetera? Or we can just do 777 breathing. Inhale through the nose, 
tongue on the right behind the front teeth, mouth closed. Inhale for the count of seven. Hold for the count of seven. Exhale for the count of seven. Hold the exhale for a count of seven. And we do seven of the seven, seven, seven breathing, and we've reset our state. So maybe what, 15 minutes total instead of suffering for hours or days. That's fantastic. And I kind of like that balance because 12 minutes is not that much time or 15 minutes out of your entire day, but that's enough in those three phases to feel like you might be able to really feel the shift. So wonderful. And it's cool because you start to go, oh, you know what? I'm actually resilient. Yeah. (laughs) Another thing that I read was an article you did in Forbes a couple of months ago. And I thought this was really interesting and wondered if you could share with our listeners what stress relaxation is. Okay. I bet you guys have experienced this. So stress relaxation is basically you're super stressed and you try to relax and it almost makes it worse and the stress doesn't go away and you find that you actually don't know how to relax. So emotions have energy. And um, Dr. David Hawkins, um, MD, PhD, wrote the book Power Versus Force. And he actually measured the magnetic field. He called it the log level of different emotions. And we need to get those out of our magnetic field. And I find that stress relaxation occurs when people haven't cleared the decks, like we just described with, you know, maneuvers of consciousness. This is why, frankly... Teresa, I don't think we have a choice. I think we all have to exercise every day because it's the most effective way to clear emotions. And if, if for those of you who want the physiological, if it's like, this is too cosmic, Christine, here's the physiological part of it. When we are in fight, flight, freeze, when we are in these stress states, mad, sad, scared, and all the variations of them, our brain is flooded with norepinephrine. So it's like adrenaline, uh, but it's in our brain instead of our body. The only way to get rid of norepinephrine is time or cardio. We have no enzymes in our physiology to break it down, which is how we're here. Thank goodness we don't have those enzymes because our ancestors could run away from the saber-toothed tiger, right, with all that um, adrenaline and norepinephrine, and they survived. However, we haven't had an upgrade. So we actually have to have a vigorous walk, you know, to clear that stuff. Otherwise, you just suffer and wait for about two hours. <laughs> I actually tell people that they're sitting in a puddle of stress when they get all upset, like on the freeway. Point is, you get that rush of those hormones and you're just sitting there. So they have nowhere to go. So no. I totally agree with you. You've got to move. Yeah, yeah. you got to move. And if you can't, just do some 777 breathing or do the maneuvers of consciousness out loud. Just do your best. Yeah. yeah. Great. Yeah. And I think too, you know, we're talking about the importance of mindfulness, of course, and that's part of mindfulness is recognizing what's happening. I know before the big flood even happens because I realize I'm starting to clench my teeth, right? So I've got this little thing starting and I stop right then. It's like, okay, no, 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 no. (laughs) Take a breath, walk around the block, you know, whatever it is I need to do, because I don't want to feel like that. And I don't think anybody does, but Something is happening is what I feel like with a lot of people. And I don't know if it's pent up anxiety or, but people are behaving in ways that aren't good for them. I mean, it's certainly not benefiting them, but it's not benefiting others either. And I am also seeing people are not, and this includes people in leadership roles at work. They're not taking vacations. It's like a, you can feel that energy. It's like this very almost, I don't want to say hostile is too strong, but it's definitely some kind of anxiety. 
in mass. I've noticed a couple of things. Thanks for bringing that up. There is this weird, well, we've all been apart for a couple of years, so we have to all get together. We have to have a million meetings. We've got to fly all over the country. You know, so yeah, there's that like urgency, anxiety around trying to make up for the two years we just had. And if you remember the remember the two years, the good part, right? How we got like back connected to nature and all that wonderful stuff. But separately, I don't want us to discount the grieving because we all experienced a shared trauma that was extended over a long period of time. And we had the separativity of the the vaxxers, the anti-vaxxers. We've seen political turmoil around it, whatever. There's all sorts of stuff. And I want us to notice that you can't grieve when you're in survival mode. We've been in survival mode. And just now the grief is coming up. But what happens when grief comes up? It's a feeling of lack of control, right? Crying, upset. So what do we reach for instead? Often on the behavioral menu, anger. Anger, Because yeah. anger is better than sorrow, right? Because it feels some sense of control. But it just causes us to suppress the grief further. And it comes out, as you just said, in all sorts of inappropriate ways. So I really recommend that people just like feel and grieve what occurred. Do whatever little ceremony you want. Let yourself cry. Just got to get it out of your body. Yeah. Maybe you could give a tip. When someone is, and again, let's take work because that's where most people spend most of their time. But if a leader's at work and they've got this sort of, whatever you want to call it, discombobulation happening on their teams, and it seems to be all for different reasons. And this is the part I find fascinating because I don't think it's really for different reasons. And you just summed it up greatly with, it's the release of grief. We can deal with that. We can process it. but. As a leader trying to lead a team, what's like a tip or best advice you would give them as to how to get started with getting the team back into cohesiveness and a calmer state? Thank you. We use a tool that we call the feedback frame. It's only two questions. Just like the outcome frame, you can use it in a group as well. The feedback frame, super easy. Many of us were taught the feedback sandwich. You're awesome, but you're not so awesome here but you're awesome because I feel really uncomfortable giving you feedback. And the brain's like, am I awesome? Am I not? I'm confused. What works much better is to say what's working is bing, bing. And what I'd like to see more of is bong, bong. Okay, what's working is we load up and we have the visual auditory kinesthetic experience of the things that are working. Okay, yeah, got it. She likes those things. Those are working. Check. And what I'd like to see more of is, and then the brain pattern matches. Oh, so she likes this. She wants more of that. Okay. So I could use some of these skills to that. Okay. We don't say what's not working. Bad idea. Sends people into career state, fight, flight, freeze. But what we can do is with the team is we can say, Hey, everybody. So let's look at this project, the workplace, whatever. What's working here? And everyone starts to holler out what's working. You know, we can jot it down. And what would we like to see more of? Well, I'd like to see actually fewer team meetings, more efficient, you know? So what would we like to see more of? Efficiency in our meetings, you know, et cetera. We need to bring people together. That's like the key word right now. So how can we bring people together? So when we do a what's working, what would we like to see more of? And we can also use the outcome frame as, as a tool. But I want to add something in that we lead from where we are. And so much of it is unconscious. 
And I want to take a sec, and this is deep stuff, so stay with me, everybody. I want us to understand the decisions that we make between six months and three years old with our little baby brain, where our prefrontal cortex is nowhere near being cooked. It won't be cooked until we're 21 as a woman and 25 as a man. Because humans are so amazing, between six months and three years old, we look around and we decide what rights we have, okay? The five rights that we decide are right to exist. Is it okay that I'm here? Is it okay that I have a voice? Is it okay that I take up space? Right to have needs. What are my needs? Is it okay that I have those needs? If I ask for someone to fulfill my needs and they don't, is it okay that I ask somebody else? Right to take action. Can I go after what I want? Can I be accountable? Can I be dependable? Can I follow through? Can I make it happen? Right to have consequences. Oh, I took action and it didn't work out. Is it okay for me to say, I messed up, here's how I'm going to fix it, etc.? Or do I need to blame and shame others or make excuses? And then last, the right to love. It's a combo pack, Teresa. Love and be loved. Because a lot of us are like, oh, I'm really good at loving. Yeah, but how about asking for support, letting the love in? So I find that if you just take a moment and you drop in and just say, okay, for so like zero to five, how would I rate my right to exist? And what I find very often, Teresa, is low rights to exist and low right to have needs for leaders. Very high rights to, you know the answer, take action and have consequences. So could it be that since we're so reliable and so action-oriented that we're actually paying to exist. And when we drop into that, many people will say, yeah, wow, in my family, if I didn't get good grades, I was persona non grata. You know, if I wasn't mom's little helper, then I wasn't valued. And our org rights really determine how we show up. They determine how we lead. And once we're aware of them, then we can start to say, okay, I want to take up more space. I want to be more present with myself. I want to be more present with others. Presence is all about right to exist. I want to actually find out what my needs are. Because when I'm triggered, the answer is not feeling seen. When you're triggered, not having your needs met. You know, feeling like you can't take action. And I want people to start to drop into that because it's really profound and it's really liberating. Definitely. It's so interesting because I was just on a coaching call and part of the goal person had had to do with being less reactive. And I think that ties into what you're talking about, because if we're not dealing with the first two that you just talked about, we're pretty much only able to react, right? Instead of thinking through and being proactive or responsive. We aren't responding from choice. We're compulsively reacting. And when there's a compulsive reaction, it is historical. It is about a decision that was made a long time ago. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, I know you have Beyond Your Brain Retreat coming up. Yes. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Beyondyourbrain.com. Or if it's easier, you can just go to christine.com. Traditional spelling. C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E.com. And we have links there. But Beyond Your Brain is really about individuals that want to step away from their life for just a few days, three days, and really look at their experience, look at how they experience themselves, connect deeply with nature, connect with the elements. We bring in a lot of 
um, Native American and Peruvian shamanism. So we're connected to the earth, water, wind, sky, sun, moon, kind of return to how we were hundreds of years ago when we actually were connected and had relationship with the natural world. And many of us are trying to get back in relationship with the natural world. And remember that we're part of this beautiful collaboration. We're all in this together, humans, nature, etc. We're all doing this together, living on this gorgeous and mysterious planet. So understanding energy, we work on that. Understanding who you truly are and what you are capable of. And you understand energy in a whole different way. And you actually understand yourself in a whole different way. And you start to realize, wow, I actually have a greater impact than I thought I did. I actually affect others energetically more than I thought I did. Oh, wow. I feel how thoughts actually have energy that you can, that you can touch almost, right? And as we start to take more responsibility for ourselves, we actually care for ourselves more deeply, care for others more deeply, feel more connected to all that is more deeply. It's spiritual. It's not religious. Whatever a person's experience of God is, God, goddess, great spirit, whatever term you like, Yahweh, uh, it deepens. And there's this feeling of safety and belonging and mattering that's very quiet and profound and still. I think everyone needs to take a retreat. <laughs> I just think that would be a good idea. I think we all need a retreat at least every year. I like to have short retreats every quarter. I do think it's important to say that, especially in our technology-driven times, you really don't get a break. Like you're just at home or even on a vacation. Like, you know, you think you're taking a break. Most people aren't really taking a break. They're checking their devices. They're checking in on the office. They're checking on the house, whatever it is. But when you actually go to a retreat, it is an opportunity to shut out everything else. And I always found that I was amazed at how disconnected I was because I didn't think I was, you know, but when I got there and then when I really disconnected from outside, it was like, oh, now I can reconnect again. So it, there's a very substantial value in just even the idea of a retreat. Like, I don't know if people really understand necessarily what that means. If they think it just means it's like they go to a hotel somewhere. It's really not. It's where mentally and physically you are entering like a little different world for a while. Yes. And it does give you that chance to go inward and reconnect with yourself in addition to the people that you're with. But I think they're yeah. very valuable. It's like going into the chrysalis, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. The caterpillar, you're going into the chrysalis and you come out three days later and it's it's a new butterfly version of you. <laughs> That's why ours are in beautiful places in nature. Like this one's in Monterey in the Silomar. Right. Yeah, so people can walk on the beach in between, you know, at meals and stuff. Very nice. Yeah. If you had one piece of advice for leaders today and right now in what we're dealing with, where would you suggest they start? I would say choose you. I would say get still, get curious about who you truly are because you are having a greater impact than you realize. And we need you now more than ever. So do the work to remember who you are and to step into that and to course correct as you need gently compassion with yourself so that you can show up more powerfully for yourself and others. 
because there's a lot of healing that we need to do. True and so important. And I totally agree. It can't be understated that Mm -hmm. if we're okay, we're so much better able to support other people. But when we're not okay, then we can't really contribute all of our skills and talents and wonderful attributes into the world. So thank you for that. If people want to find out more about your work, do they go to the same website? It's probably the easiest just to go to christine.com. Because from there, you can get to Smart Tribes Institute and the Beyond Your Brain Retreat. Yeah, just go to christine.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Teresa. I really enjoyed our conversation and appreciate Christine sharing her insights with us. You can find more information about the Beyond Your Brain Leadership and Mindfulness Retreat at beyondyourbrain.com. You can see the entire interview on our YouTube channel at Work to Live or access it from the website at amindfulmoment.com. Until next time, I encourage you to meditate daily and be mindful in all of your everyday activities. Simply bring your full awareness to the present moment to build your mindfulness skills, paying attention to every detail of what you're doing, from washing dishes to work tasks to taking a walk. Your mind will wander, and that's normal. Each time you notice it has wandered, that's mindfulness. Consider how wonderful the world could be if everyone was mindful. You can help make that happen. It all starts with a mindful moment. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other great shows like the Daily Meditation Podcast, Everything Everywhere, and Movie Therapy. We deeply appreciate your support at patreon.com slash a mindful moment. Please be sure to subscribe to A Mindful Moment and follow us on Instagram at A Mindful Moment Podcast. Visit our website, amindfulmoment.com, to access podcasts, scripts, and book recommendations. A Mindful Moment is written and hosted by Teresa McKee and or Melissa Sims. The Spanish version is translated and hosted by Paola Tile. Intro music, Retreat by Jason Farnham. Outro music, Morning Stroll by Josh Kirsch, Media Right Productions. Thank you for tuning in. This podcast is produced by Work to Live Productions, 